Well, welcome to a very special edition of Hughes from the Heart. This is a free version, by the way, a free episode, so you can share with all your friends. I always do interviews as a free episode. I don't like charging for those because then it limits the amount of people that can hear it, and I want our guests to be able to hear it and share with all their friends and family and uh, cohorts and colleagues and get it out there as much as possible. So this is a free episode, so please click share on whatever social media you're listening to this on and make sure a lot of people hear it. We have a special guest here, and I've been wanting to do something like this for a while, and uh, her name is Dia. Well, welcome to the podcast, by the way. Welcome to Hughes from the Heart. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. I, I'm trying to remember. I have a terrible short-term memory. I either <laughs> saw one of your posts because we kind of follow the same things, or you hashtag something that I follow, or do you remember how I initially got in contact with you? Did you see one of my posts, or did, did I see one of yours? You know, you actually came up on a suggested follower for me, and I poked around your, your page a little bit, and I just loved that your podcast was centered around you know positivity I think that's something we could all use especially right now so I, I actually gave you a follow first okay that's right then I, I followed you and then I saw that you are uh, living in a tiny house which fascinates me I I have a big family I have a, a Brady Bunch family beautiful daughter together so we have six kids four of them still at home so it's not quite feasible for us to live kind of in this environment we've considered even having we looked into yurts yeah I love that them. Yeah, we, th- we consider that because we, we moved from Northern California and the craziness of California to the kind of uh, more open space and clean air of the Pacific Northwest. So we moved to Washington two years ago this month and just love it up here. And one of the things we considered was instead of buying a house that was already built was to buy land and then have everybody kind of in their own yurt, all the kids in their own yurt, four of them came up with us, <laughs> and then have like a main communal area yurt, you know, with like a living room and a kitchen and we'd all have meals together and stuff. But we didn't quite do that. But with the two older kids who are 23 and 21, we're considering these little two-story tough sheds, and they're they're more affordable than I thought, and they're pretty cool. I mean, they, they're I'd only seen those before, Dia, as storage sheds. You know what I mean, like glorified storage sheds. But these are actually designed to be homes, and they sell them like at Home Depot, and for a fee, they come out and they install them, they, they build them for you. So we're not ruling that out. Kind of each of the older kids having their own tiny home on the property. But first of all, tell us how you. You got into this. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, and how did you end up in a in a tiny home? Sure. So, um, so it kind of all started back in um, college. I'd say about a year ago, I came across um, the documentary called, I believe it's called Minimalism. Oh um, yes, yes, yes. My wife got me into that one, and I loved it. That's actually what introduced me to minimalism was that documentary. Me too. <laughs> wow. And um, so I had been living in a very small dorm space. You know, it's a single dorm room. I I call it the shoebox, and um, that just kind of forced me to not own a lot of a lot of stuff because it just simply can't fit. And I had been, you know, watching the you know the tiny house shows on TV, and you know, kind of delving into minimalism and all that combined with already living in a small space. I said to myself, "This is something I really want to do." So I didn't know, you know, how to make it happen. I was looking into maybe just Airbnb-ing a tiny house just to experience it or like a converted school bus. Um, 
but I was poking around Craigslist for, you know, apartments and things. I'm a new graduate, so looking for my, you know, my first place out in the world. And I had originally found an apartment uh, only a few streets away from, from where I am now at the tiny house. And it ended up, for whatever reason, not working out. But I remember I had this very distinct moment of clarity where I said to myself, you know, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. This, whatever reason, this apartment didn't work out. And not two days later, I had the lease agreement for a tiny house in my hand. Wow. It was kind of a, a big whirlwind. <laughs> and yeah, it's just very, very serendipitous, I think, because this is something I've always wanted. It's such a rare opportunity to find this. And it's a beautiful tiny house. People can see pictures of it if they go to your blog, and I hope they'll follow you and bookmark you. Tinyadventureblog.blogspot.com. Tinyadventureblog.blogspot.com. I love all things woodwork, and this is all beautiful woodwork. Did you have this built for you, or is this like a schematic, like a a plan? Tell us a little bit about the design of this tiny home. How how many square feet is it? So this tiny house is 160 square feet with 80 square feet up in the sleeping loft. And it was actually built by, um, their names are Bob and Susan, amazing people. They had actually attempted to build sort of uh, almost like your yurt idea, like a tiny house community. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess for for whatever reason it didn't really work out the land and, and you know the town regulations. So what they decided was you know they'll build this one tiny house and you know want to rent it out to the right person. So they completed it in October 2018. And what they would do is they would Airbnb out their main house and and the couple would actually live in the tiny house at that time because we're situated here on a beautiful piece of land with a huge pond lots of wildlife and so this is like it almost feels like a vacation destination people love to airbnb it but they've decided uh that they wanted a more permanent tenant and i'm actually the first person to live in in their tiny home full time wow that is fantastic so you're in massachusetts correct i am yep just beautiful beautiful area and beautiful countryside and when i look at your pictures on twitter it reminds me sort of where we live here in mason county washington just lots of trees lots of ponds, lots of water, just nature. I'm hearing nature in the background there, which I absolutely love because when I do my radio show in the morning, I have the windows open in my studio and I want people to hear that. You know, I want them to hear the birds singing. And I I couldn't believe until I started doing the radio show from home how early those birds are up. I mean, it's four in the morning, pitch dark outside, and these birds are having a symphony out there. I'm not quite sure why they wake up so early. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like coronavirus lockdown. They could sleep in as late as they want. Why are they up so early? I wonder why the birds sing so early. (laughs) But it's a beautiful sound there in the background. We get a lot of wildlife around here. It's one of my favorite things as a a biologist. Um, Animals are actually my biggest life passion and uh when you called me today i was a little out of breath because i had been chasing around a woodchuck around the yard with my wildlife camera like trying to get its photos (laughs) oh wow so we get uh we get turkeys here we have um the woodchucks turtles um some raccoon issues lately and there are a bunch of uh a bunch of cats in the area too i think they're strays but but they're really friendly and i don't mind them uh lots of birds yeah as you can hear in the background right now yeah no it's it's a beautiful 
beautiful setting. It looks like you have uh, a marsh. You've, it, what's cool is that it looks like from these pictures that you're you're kind of in civilization, but at the same time you're situated where this tiny house is. Am I right? Where you, if you look out your window, you Absolutely. wouldn't necessarily know that, right? I mean, it looks like you're in the middle of nowhere. It does. Yeah, a lot of people think I'm I'm in, isolated in the woods, but I'm really. Um, about five minutes from the town center. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. So you mentioned earlier biology. You you actually graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Biology, correct? I did, yep, just this past May. Wow, congratulations. That's. I have one of my kids interested in biology, and I know that's not the easiest of subjects, so good for you. That's a, a tough subject, but a fascinating one. Um, Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about minimalism, because I think we need it now more than ever. I, I have been a pack rat my whole life, and it has driven my wife and family absolutely to tears where I would just save everything and anything. And when we moved from California here, it was a big rude awakening of how much stuff I'd accumulated. Um, I'm, I'm significantly older than you are. I'm almost 50, but I've accumulated over those years a lot of junk and things that I thought I could never part with, I parted with. I went to the dumps 50 times over before we moved and got rid of a heap of stuff. And I look in our garage now here in Washington and I still have a heap of junk. I mean, I, I'm still slowly getting rid of stuff. It's 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 so good that you discovered minimalism at your age as opposed to my age. I wish I had known what that was. I guess, it, you know, everything happens for a reason, like you said. And maybe, mm. maybe most people aren't supposed to discover this in their teens and their 20s. Maybe we need to go through that kind of collecting stage where we just kind of realize that all this stuff isn't what makes us happy. I mean, it's so cool that you saw that documentary when you did because it could have been another 25 years before you even knew what the word meant you know what i mean we hear minimalism a lot but we as humans just cling to so much stuff and it's stuff that sadly doesn't really matter does it i mean most of the stuff we we at all we hoard and cling to has no real significance to our happiness or our well-being i agree with you um I think it's hard for people to let go of things sometimes because we tend to attach uh, memories and, and, you know, people to our items. And that's when it gets hard to let go of them. You know, for example, mm -hmm. if someone had given you a gift, our instinct is to hold on to that because, oh, if I donate this, you know, I'm throwing away, you know, that memory with that person. But yes. once you can really make that separation, it's it makes a world of difference because that person wouldn't want you to feel cluttered and weighed down, you know. Um, so I've really found that um, separating kind of like emotions from items has been the biggest change in, you know, my own habits. I tend to, to be a pack rat sometimes too, but, but now living in the tiny house, I, I physically can't because it just won't fit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the um, thing I like about this is that if you limit, like our last house, people thought it was this huge house and it, it was when you look at it square footage wise and look at it when you're walking through it. But what people had to realize was we had six kids at the time living in that house and, and sharing rooms and our youngest daughter didn't even have her own room. So it seemed, you know, from the outside, it looks like, why do you have this huge house? It's 3,400 square feet and it seems, you know, ostentatious. You don't need all this stuff. But we did need that space mm -hmm. at the time. But even then, there were there were corners of the house that we'd never use that would get dusty and we'd have to vacuum over and over again every day because it just collected dust. And, and then when we moved here, granted, we came with two fewer children, but now we're in half the square footage and everything just seems to fit better. Everything seems to click better. And I realize, like you said, the less space I have to set something down on, the less garage space, storage space, the better. Because if you don't have the big desk to start putting stuff on and all the um, curio boxes to put collectibles in, there's nowhere to put it. I'm looking at your tiny house here and it's beautiful, but 
it would look awful if I got my hands on it and I still had the clutter bug and I just started putting, you know, mail on this pile and then <laughs> junk over here and empty my pockets over here. What is your key to like keeping this well manicured and, and clean? And, and how does how does a day in the life of Dia look in this tiny house? Like, where are your possessions? Do you have like a an area with like minimal clothing and minimal knickknacks or books? Or are you more like all digital? I know my wife's got me into digital movies now. I used to have 2,000 DVDs. And right now, I don't even have a DVD oh player. My. I don't even have a DVD player. I mean, most things are digital now. So most computers don't come with DVD players. CD players and cars are... I sell cars partially for a living. And people say, oh, does this CD, car have a CD player? No, they don't have CD players anymore <laughs> in most cars, even the fancy ones. Because everything's going streaming. Everything's digital download. And that really helps clutter bugs like myself. Because now, instead of... 2,000 DVDs taking up half a room. It's all on Amazon. You know, it's all on Netflix. It's all things we can download. Do you have kind of like a digital counterpart to your stuff or what's your key to owning so few things other than the fact that you're constrained by by space? How do you physically and mentally limit yourself? So I'm a bit of a uh, mix. So I'm a huge reader. And if I owned the physical books for all the books that I love and read, it would fill the entire house from floor sure. to ceiling. So yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm a big believer in in my Kindle. Mm -hmm. But there is some value to you know I love the you know the feel of holding a good book in your hands. Yes, Kindle can never compare. So what I do is for the bulk of my reading, I will do on the Kindle. And actually, my library is fantastic. They'll let you do free Kindle downloads, so um, you can read, 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 and and not. Have have to you know spend the money so for my key books i have a small bookshelf right above like i have a little reading nook in the tiny house with a beanbag chair most comfy thing and i'll keep just a handful of books that are key for me like my favorite go-to books and i think um that's kind of a part of minimalism that people misunderstand they think oh if you are a minimalist you need to just throw away everything you own right but it's really about making the space for the things that matter and in a way that kind of brings you back into yourself so when I was downsizing to move into the house I had a huge huge stash of just things like my hobbies bin I call it mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I had to sit down and have a conversation with myself and be you know honest with myself what hobbies have I grown out of what doesn't serve me anymore and what does and that got me actually excited to dive back into the things I love like um I love to play music and um you know read books I'm an artist and you know some of the things I've had to let go of simply because I don't have the space and they they don't really serve my life other than other than they weigh me down so I do do a, a little bit of a mix of digital but I have you know, the key items that I, I really feel are, you know, feed my soul. They're the things I truly love. And as a minimalist, you can still have those things. You don't need to just throw away everything. It's just about making space for the things that are important to you. Oh, absolutely. And I'm a big believer, I'm sure you are too, in kind of repurposing things. I don't like throwing things away per se. Um, I'm getting bigger into recycling and things like that. But I, I look at an item now and I don't want to just throw it away. I want to see if someone else and a lot of people got mad at me when I said this because I said well you're just decluttering your life and you're cluttering up somebody else's life so what good is that you're just kind of transferring your clutter to somebody else's garage and attic mm -hmm. but 
But that's not my choice to make, right? I mean, if somebody wants to have a collection of snow globes, and I have a snow globe on my desk that I don't want anymore, and they do want it, and it'll bring them joy in their living space, then I don't feel like I'm doing anything bad. I feel like instead of putting that in the landfill and just having it go to waste, someone else can enjoy that. Or clothing. You know, I don't want to just throw out clothing. I mean, I want someone else to get some more mileage out of a shirt or a sweater or shoes that maybe don't fit me comfortably anymore, but still have a lot of tread on them. I mean, I, I've been known to go to secondhand stores and thrift stores and I'll find, you know, Hawaiian shirts or I'll find a pair of shoes that were never even taken out of the box for like five bucks or something. And I'm a big believer in finding something at home first, if you can. Do you do that as well? Where like, if you get rid of something, you're like, you want to see if it'll bring somebody else happiness? Absolutely. So I really resonate with um, this tweet from Joshua Fields Milburn. He's one of the two of the minimalists. Yes. And this was his rule of thumb. He says, um, if something's not adding to your life, so basically if you want to get rid of it, try and sell it Well, if you're looking to, to to make some money. But if not, you can skip that step. But then he says, if it doesn't sell in a week, lower the price. If it doesn't sell in 30 days, donate it. If a donation center won't accept it, then you can recycle it. And if you can't recycle it, trash as the last resort. So yeah. I think that's a really good rule of thumb to live by. It really is because I, I'm a big believer. I'm a big reader as well. And I, I wanted to make sure my books didn't just end up in the garbage. You know, some people just throw away old books and somebody else can You go to Goodwill and places like that. And there's hundreds of books in there and I like the idea of these little um, these little libraries. Do you guys have those in Massachusetts? They end up in like neighborhoods and districts of town where they're like the these little, little free libraries. Yeah, the little free library. I love that idea. I love it. We have a ton around here. Uh, Bob and Susan, the builders of the house, have actually just built a little free library that that matches the tiny house. <laughs> oh, really? That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, little birds will yeah. probably try to live in it though, so be careful. Squirrels, maybe. Uh, <laughs> this tiny house is so cool. Now let me ask you this is this tiny house mobile like if you wanted to could it be i know some people live in tiny houses that they're they don't put up roots put down roots anywhere they kind of move from place to place and they're kind of nomads traveling the country is this mobile or is this built into like a foundation this is on wheels so it's a tiny house on wheels but i believe the the owners of it i'm on a lease here um i believe their intention is to keep it here on the property and for me you know it's here in nature on a body of water i couldn't think of you know, a better place to move it, honestly. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, and I've thought of that too, like in retirement of maybe having one of these just for fun, just kind of moving around, you know, place to place and just plunking it down for a month here, a month there. And, mm. um, with technology, uh, even with the radio show and with podcasting, that's why I'm really trying to grow the podcast too, is I want to be a little more independent and, and be able to be successful enough at it to, take it anywhere. I mean, that's my dream ultimately is to be able to do mobile interviews and especially after, you know, coronavirus kind of settles down, be able to do face-to-face interviews, just kind of town to town and moving around and, and kind of, you know, interviews on the street type thing and just sitting down with people like you and, and finding out what's going through people's minds. I think right now is a time, minimalism is going to have its time. I think we are learning that all these piles of stuff, it, it's causing more anxiety, it's causing more depression, it's causing more mental health issues, I think. And you mentioned something earlier when you said the stuff that weighs you down. I don't think most people realize that a lot of the discontent they feel is because of the need to insure items, dust items, clean items, make sure they're still there when you come home from work items, um, items that when you open the closet, they fall down and crush your toes. I mean, just all the stress of owning things. I, I find the older I get, the less I want to own. I don't want, I don't want 
50 pairs of pants. I don't want 25 pairs of shoes. I don't mm-hmm. want all this stuff that when I walk into a room, I'm like, oh my God, I just dusted yesterday and there's a layer of dust over everything again. I got to clean everything. I don't want this stuff anymore. And I think that a lot of our kind of dis-ease in life comes from just without us even knowing it. I think it's a very subtle kind of gnawing at our soul and we don't even know where it comes from half the time. But I think a lot of it comes from just being weighed down, as you said, by all this stuff. Yeah, there's something about, there's almost a dark side to advertisements, I think, where they, there's been a big change, I believe, around like the 1950s and 60s, instead of presenting an item as, here's what the item is, here's what it does, and here's the price. Now advertisements are twisted. They have teams specifically set up to figure out how to get to your psyche, and they want you to feel you won't be complete without this. And that's, I think, where a lot of people's drive to to just buy meaningless things and and collect crap is because they're kind of fed that through the media. Mm-hmm. And once you recognize that, your whole world will change. When you only own really the things that are you know adding to your life, you you just feel so free. Like there's nothing weighing you down in that way. And also, you know, your hard-earned dollars aren't aren't going to meaningless items that you don't even want in the first place. Yeah, that's a very important point is stuff that we, um, I remember Joe Rogan, I follow his podcast and some other people have said the same thing that we, um, we spend our, uh, are you familiar with Alan Watts? If you're not, you should be because you, you would really, you would really click with the philosophy of Alan Watts. Have you heard of him? Uh, his name rings a bell. Yeah. He is uh boy, I guess you would say maybe one of the early kind of metaphysicians, if you will, but he, I was so sad to find out that his, his heyday was right around when I was being born. I mean, in the early seventies, he lived actually on a houseboat in Sausalito right across from San Francisco where I grew up and lived kind of, um, kind of a beatnik lifestyle style, if you will, and ended up being a great teacher of like Eastern philosophies and Zen and meditation and things like that. And when I discovered him on YouTube, his lectures, I thought, I want to go hear this guy. I want to go next time, you know, he's out there lecturing. I want to go buy tickets to see him. And then I I realized he died in the early 70s. And I couldn't believe it because everything he talked about sounded like right now. I mean, this guy was years ahead of his time. Just kind of this idea that all these things that are put in to us. And you're right. The culture puts ideas into our heads. Our parents put certain ideas into our heads, our elders. And um, someone else, if you're not familiar familiar with, Don Miguel Ruiz in The Four Agreements. I think you'd love that book. He talks about one of the things is the domestication of people. And that the way he spells it out is so beautifully said that we are domesticated just like dogs are. We're taught, you be a good little girl, you be a good little boy, you do this, you, you get the white picket fence and the 2.5 kids, and you pull in the, the car, the SUV into the garage and you go to this job and and it's all working our butts off at jobs we hate. 80% of the American people hate their jobs according to every poll I've seen. 80%, 8 out of 10 people hate their jobs and yet they, they, they wow. slave at them for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day to be able to have enough money to buy crap that someone else told them they need. And then they come home, they barely, I mean, this was Alan Watts in 1970 saying this. He goes, they come home, they, they microwave their dinner, you know, they, they have a TV dinner, in the, well, they didn't have microwaves, but in the oven, um, they stick a frozen dinner in the oven, they eat it half asleep in front of the TV, and then they go to sleep. And then the alarm clock rings again, and it's the same life every day of just drudgery and repetition and silliness 
all because someone else said, we have to have a bigger car, we have to have a bigger house, we have to live in this neighborhood, we have to marry this kind of person, we have to have this kind of relationship, and a garage in an attic full of crap. And it's sad because when we get, I mean, I didn't realize this till my 40s, but you're realizing it in your 20s that this isn't the answer to life. This stuff doesn't add value to us. This isn't, when we're on our deathbed, we're not going to look back and say, gosh, I wish I'd had more thimbles in my collection. If I'd only had 20,000 more thimbles in my collection, I'd be happier right now. That's not the kind of stuff we're going to think about on our deathbed, is it? It's not. And um, I like to call what you described as uh, the template. It's almost like what the American society has told us we need to do. So, you know, get the big house, get the car, the picket fence. And so many people work so hard their whole lives to achieve that. And when they get there, they have the midlife crisis because they realize, okay, I did the template. Here I am. Why am I still not happy? Mm-hmm. And that's when they begin to question where this, you know, where this idea even came from in the first place. So, so yeah, I really agree with you on that. Well, listen, I, I love chatting with you. I um, would love to have you on again. There's so many issues we haven't even touched on, and there's so many kind of subsections of minimalism and all this other stuff and tiny house living. Would you uh, be willing to come on again? Did you enjoy the time we had together? Would you come on again with me? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Okay, well, I want people to follow you here. So if you don't mind having a bunch of people you don't know following you on on Twitter, I'd be happy to give your Twitter um, handle. Is that okay? Yeah, sure thing. It's um, Tiny House Writer. So if you look for Tiny House Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, you'll find Dia. And she posts pictures of her beautiful tiny house and the beautiful environment she lives in. It's just it's right out of like um, it's like right out of a, a fantasy book, really. And that's how I feel about where we live here in Washington. I look out this window every day, and I see nothing but forest and trees and deer walking by my window. And I think, why didn't I do this thirty years ago? You know, why did <laughs> I grew up in the concrete jungle of San Francisco, which is a far, far removed vision from what I'm seeing right now out this window. I could be looking out this window, Dia, kind of like you looking out to your pond, and it could be the 1800s. It could be the 1900s. You know, what I mean, it could be any time. And that's what I like about it. I'm not not looking at skyscrapers exactly. and smog and and people crashing into each other on a highway and it's just I'm removed from all this stuff and all this noise of life and your blog uh, reminds us about the important things in life so I want people to follow you as well on tinyadventureblog.blogspot.com and I'm glad we uh, cross paths I really am I, I believe in serendipity too and I don't believe there's coincidence in the universe and I think uh, we are meant to connect here and, and get our messages across and hopefully more people will, will realize this sooner than later that there's more to life than just collecting things and material possessions and, and being unhappy you don't have to be most of our unhappiness comes because we're, we're trying to live the life that our parents or other people told us we should be living and once we realize we got to do our own thing and listen to our own song things can change for us my biggest takeaway to the people who are listening is when you own less you can live more you can live your life more it's a great way to say it dia thanks so much it's a pleasure meeting you a pleasure chatting with you and i want everybody to follow you on twitter tiny house writer and your blog is great tinyadventureblog.blogspot.com and i will promote this every way i can i have uh, this free version will be on apple music it'll be on google Podcasts. it'll be on spreaker spotify um people can find it on patreon for free it's like on five or six different uh, the top podcast sites and i'll hashtag the heck out of it and hopefully uh, people will discover you and your tiny house living 
Thanksgiving and your blog too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you. And we'll talk again, okay, for sure. All righty. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to this free episode of Hughes from the Heart. If you like what you hear, please support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. It would really mean the world to me to see new people sign up at patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Spencer Hughes. Thanks a lot for the support. Thanks to Dia, our guest. Thanks to all of you out there. I cannot do this without you.